So I have a good excuse for the fact that I'm drinking at 5 o'clock, 5.30 in the afternoon. Uh, what, what is yours? I'm drinking with you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> this guy was he's, apparently drinking, though. This guy, the, these folks, apparently they were driving down the road, and they spotted the sight of a crashed airplane. And uh, they, <laughs> I'm already slurring my words. This is not good. Um, <laughs> they spotted the sight of a crashed airplane, and they called it in. They dialed 911, and uh, the authorities investigated and discovered that the crashed quote i'm making finger quotes here crashed airplane was just a prop on a water park uh in uh, in mason ohio a, a prop is in a stage prop yeah, not a right. prop as in a propeller yeah. no 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 right it was like you know this is like the uh, the pretend crashed airplane water park in mason ohio a possible plane crash reported near an ohio interstate turned out to be only a prop on the grounds of a water park What's the name of this place? Let's see now. Just called The Beach. Well, that's creative. The Beach. I think it should be against the law. Don't you think? You're north of Cincinnati. Anything that has water is creative. It's great. Okay. I think, all right, here's what I hate. All right. Don't you hate it when you're driving down, you're in your car, and you're driving in your car, and you're listening to the radio, and some sort of car or road-related sound comes on the radio, all right? Like you hear a police siren. Right. And you go, holy crap, you know? Or or the other thing is when you're in your car or even watching television and the person on the radio or the TV, their cell phone has the same ring as yours. Hate that. I just hate right. that, okay? There ought to be a law against that, all right? And now I'm adding to my list, you shouldn't be able to put a crashed airplane within view of the general public. Well, here's my question. How, how crashed was this? And how is this like a tourist attraction to anybody? Who wants to see? I know. How is it being used? Well, how um, is this entertaining, right? This is well, the... Well, well, yeah. A possible plane crash. And the media outlets report a passing motorist um, thought it was a downed plane. Yeah. Okay. That doesn't mean it was a crashed airplane. Yeah. Well, it was in the, the Amelia Earhart water park. It's a bad joke in there someplace. <laughs> wow. I'm sorry. I take that all back. I take that all back. Well, you, um, you, you had me thinking, though, about Blood Rock and, and, and the, the, the lyrics to DOA. Yeah. 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 Oh, wait a minute. That's ringing a bell. What is it? Tell me. Remind me. Refresh my memory. I, I've got the MP3. I'll send it to you. Okay. But you got to tell the listeners want to know now. All right. What's the... Uh, well, it was, a, it was a rock there's, song from... There's this, yeah, what, rock song early eighties. Right, one at a time. Jeb, go first. It was a rock yeah. song from the nineteen eighties. Rock song from the sixties. Sixties, okay. Sixties yeah, by a, by a group called Blood Rock. Blood Rock, okay. Okay, one word, and uh, they 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 were a one hit wonder with a song called DOA. Yeah, this this sounds familiar. I'm, I'm and, and it was all about this guy's thoughts about having been in a plane crash, and, and he's he's dying on the ground, and there's people around, and all this kind of stuff. And well, this is it's, pleasant. It's, it's a re- yeah, it's really a bummer of a song for all that. But this was the '60s, so it got by. Well, it was all just it, a misunderstanding. It was different. And, it, it, exactly. It, it was like it was like James Taylor in Fire and Rain. It wasn't really about a plane crash. It was actually about a date that went bad or something like that, you know. And uh, he was just oh, I don't know that. I'm just I making that up. I'm hey, you you got to read the lyrics, dude. It's about more than a bad date. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. But, but the, the, one of the notorious things about it was that it challenged and overcame a Federal Communications Commission rule against the sound of things like emergency vehicles being uh-huh. broadcast on radio station. The siren 
that are an integral part of this song uh-huh. about a plane crash had a lot of people pulling over yeah. when it first came on. And, and this is AM monoroll radio, and it had people pulling over. So you're telling me that the Supreme Court has already decided that I'm full of hot air here and that I can't get these things banned. You, you, I don't think it still, took a Supreme Court decision, dude. D- d- yeah, Jeb, you what you're saying? Yeah, you still can't, you know, yell fire in a crowded theater. Right. But um, I think they did, they did open this up because I've heard, I think this, this song did, uh, in fact, open up that policy. Yeah. But I've certainly heard a lot of sirens and stuff like that in, in, in other broadcast material, let's say, uh, since then on AM and FM. Um, so I don't, I don't know. But let's 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 stop talking about the '60s and talk about airplanes. I'm starting to get flashbacks here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I know. say let's talk about real crashes if we're right. going to talk about crashes. I'm right. Gonna, yeah. No. No. Something so, that helps that helps people with the idea of don't do that. Yeah. Right. So all right, then let's see. The next thing on my list here, and this is a this is an episode of uh, of Sesame Street. Which of these things doesn't belong with the other? Um, <laughs> so. <laughs> Um, <laughs> pay, pay attention, children. There will be a quiz. What's the deal here? David, you put this on the list. Flashcards? AOPA is offering training flashcards or something like that? What's that all about? That's about, hey, you know, well, learning hey, things about... Second. Okay. What's the matter, Jeb? Uh, there's another issue here with AOPA. What? Oh. <laughs> yeah, this, this just cropped up here in the last... Uh, this could be a whole eight, episode. Go ahead. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so they just did something that was just very, very lame. Um, no, I, I know, I know, I, I know that comes as a shock to you, um, but uh, you may have read in the aviation press. It was in AvWeb uh, a day or so ago. Uh, maybe this morning's uh, um, uh, Aero News. Yeah, it could have been an Aero News too. But there's this kid in Iowa yeah. who started this petition on a WhiteHouse.gov uh, site set aside for petitions. Yeah, and it was about user fees. Okay, and he, and he talked about how you know he would be charged you know for all of his touch and go landings and whatnot. Right. If these user fees went into into effect, and it started out you know very grassroots. Uh, there were like when I when I heard about it, I, I have not signed it yet. I haven't I really just haven't focused on these things. Uh, you know, as far as clicking a mouse button is concerned, anyway. But um, it's not like people don't know where we stand. Yeah. So this this kid, I don't know if he's kid or, or grown man or what, but uh, um, had put this petition on this on this government website, uh-huh. and a few people started started commenting on it. And the next I knew, there were like you know there was uh, fifty uh, signatures on it, and now and it's been publicized in, in media. And this morning, AOPA announces its own petition. Wow, now that's oh, helpful. Yeah, okay. I yeah, thought you were going to say that, that they that, That's really helpful. Now they'll, they'll offer they'll have a way to offer those people a magazine when they sign the petition. <laughs> yeah. No, so I I thought you were going to say that AOPA got behind the guy's permit, per, petition. Well, they, well they, every, they they gave it some ink. Yeah. They gave it some ink. Um AEA, I believe, got behind the kids uh, the guy's petition. very very early. Yeah. And some other organizations did. I think maybe NATA did. But AOPA decided uh, to start their own. Across America got on board. Uh, it showed up in every discussion list that I stumbled onto. Every every user group, right, right, that I, I get press from has included this. Has pointed toward this gentleman's petition uh, on their own, saying, "You know, this guy's doing a petition. Go there and sign it if you agree." With, 
Uh, but what you're telling me is that petition. But what you're telling me is that AOPA has now started their own. They're competing. They have a comp- competing petition. Now that I'd have to ask AOPA about. Jeb, is that what you said earlier? Hang on a second. Hang on. That's 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 what I'm led to believe. Yeah. Okay. I think um, I vaguely remember seeing a, a an email from AOPA this afternoon yeah, saying, you know, yeah. go please sign this petition. And I kind of right. assumed that they were talking about this grassroots petition that I had read, heard about as well. Read the email again. Read the email again. Well, now i got to find the email. Let's see if i got my mail program closed. All right, here we go. Let's do this. I'm getting really good at editing out the little silent spots while we're off <laughs> Googling and looking at emails and things. Um, um, listeners, you don't understand how much sp- silence there is in this podcast. Jack, when, mine, was, mine is dated 12.29 p.m. today. All right. Uh, let's see here. Well, I just found uh, a, a page that says AOPA petition against user fees, and it doesn't mention anything about the other guy. And Wow, send it again. They say, please Give AOPA or email, email address to FDA during the FAA funding debate. We'll be asking pilots to contract Congress at key times. Okay, now wait a minute. Hang on. So, oh, wait, here it is. Yeah, uh, Craig Fuller is from, and mine is labeled from Craig Fuller, AOPA president. Uh, please sign our user fees petition now. Um, how do I know whether this is the one that the guy started or whether this is AOPA's own click, one? Click the link. Sign yeah. petition today. Yeah. Okay, that's what yeah. I just did. It's on AOPA's website, so I guess it's not the guys. It's it's, it's uh, AOPA's web. It's AOPA's petition. It's so AOPA is it, okay. God bless them, but they're. I hope this works. <laughs> Maybe you can combine the two petitions somehow. I don't know because the fact that they're sort of in a you know manner of speaking competing with this other guy's petition doesn't well, seem like a good idea to me. I don't know. I think it's important it's to note the whole thing is lame. I think it's important to note where the young man started the petition, which I believe exactly. was a place on the White House website. Right, not on the AOPA website. Not on his own website. Right. But on the White House website uh, where people are allowed to start petitions about issues in which they strongly believe. And when I believe the threshold for moving it out of the abstract and into the petition that the president will see is about 5,000 signatures. Really? That's all it takes? That's interesting. That's all it takes, but it might surprise you that you know there are more petitions started than actually get to the five thousand. Well, that I can. Yeah, the guy in Iowa, he should be well on his way. I, you know, the way this has been promoted, yeah, by everyone except AOPA, to the best of my knowledge, um, they'll he'll get there. Uh, all the all the chat lists are talking about it. I'm sure all the forums are. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I guess what we've got uh, to do here is we need to we need to ask yeah. people to go to both of them, right? You got to sign both of them because you don't want to, well, you know. Yes, I'm I, I'm probably only going to sign one. Which one? Uh, that'll probably be the young man's. Yeah, if I was only going to sign one, that's the one I would sign too. But anyways, um, well, yeah. there, there's there's a point of dilution here. Okay, you can sign 800 petitions about the same thing, and if anybody pays attention when they go through those petitions, they'll start to go, "Oh yeah, this guy signs this every time he comes along," and you don't count eight times; you count once. Right. I'm sure. So you, you know. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah. I don't. Think I, no, the reason, the only reason I, I would not to dilute our effort. The only reason I would suggest signing both of them is not because I think your name is going to count twice. It's because I want to make sure that we're all on whichever one ends up being counted. Uh, They'll both get counted. Well, I hope so. And then it's no harm, no foul. Yeah. All right. Then but the if, question is, how do they get counted? Yeah. So, anyways, okay. And, and uh, who does the counting? Yeah. Anyways, 
we're going to ask Jeff is going to put these both on the uh, show notes and uh, and uh, you know we'll leave it to the listeners to decide which one it is they want to sign. But uh, okay, does it make sense? Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I was listening to. I, I was working on on a, on a recent podcast, or the most recent, the one that I'm trying to get out the door right now. And I, and and something struck me that's kind of been gnawing at me for quite some time now, and that is the well, time out. Time yeah, out, time out. I just loaded the petition. It's already got 6,400 signatures. That's the AOPA one. No, the kids. No, guys, that's the original the one. What's the guy's the name? Is the guy's name there? Creator Kevin M. M like in the letter M or E-M? M is in the letter M. Kevin, Kevin M. Kevin okay. M. Marion, Ohio. Good job. Nice work. Uh, September 23, 2011 is the date the petition was created. Yeah. Okay. So Jeff will put both You're of these on the show notes, and, uh, and we can, everyone can decide which one they want to sign. Um, yeah. If you want to sign either of them, any of them. Maybe you don't even and, care. And, and remember, you don't need a petition well, to be influential as a voter, you can call and write your congressman. We suggest doing both. And your senators, senators remember there's two of them, we suggest doing both, calling and writing. And uh, you can let them know directly without having to go through anybody. That's and right. Don't, and don't start your communications, as I usually do, with the phrase, are you insane? <laughs> Probably. That's going to reduce the effectiveness slightly. It'll put um, a on things. If only because it just doesn't, you don't stand out from the crowd if you do that, because so many people start their messages that way. Um, just as an aside, so uh, it's been probably a couple of years now, at least two or three years, that Jeff Ward has been doing our show notes. And I was listening to one of the podcasts recently, and I heard myself say, as I all, often say, we're going to put that on the show notes, as if we do it, and it's not you know, Jeff doing it. So from now on, I'm going to try to pretend that Jeff is here in the hangar with us, um, which he may be one of these <laughs> days. But I'm going to say, yeah, Jeff, can. can you please put this on the show notes for us? We'd appreciate it if you'd put both these on the show notes so people can, uh, can pick which one, if either, they want to, uh, to support. Finally, and you'll notice that I'm just going to blow off the whole AOPA flashcards thing because that's yeah. just, yeah, that's gone. It was a flash in the pan idea. That's right, yeah. Finally, um, the uh, new airplane to add to the UCAP fleet here turns out that they are endeavoring to sell off a whole bunch of used C5A uh, cargo planes. Oh, no uh, kidding. Who? How much? I don't know. Let's see now. This is a flightglobal.com, uh, one of their blogs, the Do Line, D-E-W Line, the Do Line, D- Distant Early Warning for Global Defense Industry, Stephen Trimble's The Do Line, all right? And uh, the headline is Lockheed Pitches Retired C-5As to Commercial Market. They're trying to sell these old airplanes as uh, working cargo planes. Uh, the- it's been done before. I mean, successfully, there's a bunch of Antonov 124 and 224. And the article talks about that. Uh, let's see no. now. No, um, I got that beat, the C-130. Well, yeah, but that's not that. We're talking like Mongo airplanes, the C-130. Yeah, the great, I was saying, you, you put C-130s in these airplanes. Yeah, a couple of them. Well, that's true. That's yeah. True. So let's see now. Um my gotcha on this is that uh, these things are notoriously expensive to maintain. I saw some number or that's... Or operate. Well, or yeah, operate. but they, they, they required... I mean, don't quote me on this, but they, they required something on the order of five hours of maintenance for every one hour of flight time or something like is, that. Is that all? Yeah, really. I know, it was a big number. Seriously, is yeah. that all? No, that's not a big number. It really? Well, all right. Really? Okay. The context was... 
bigger than usual, way bigger than usual, was the content. 25 hours per flight really? hour, I could kind of go, oh, yeah, oh, man, that's a lot. Yeah. So anyways, I just wonder what whether whether the private sector would want C5As, even though you can carry a lot of stuff. Do they really want Let me know? ask you, what do you think the relative maintenance hour to flight hour ratio is for an Antonov 224? Oh, well, yeah, that's... With, with six engines and some of the well, most Soviet of all Soviet uh, systems architecture. I, I would imagine it's high. Do you know the number? I do not. I do not. But I, I remember visiting these airplanes at Paris and Farnborough, and marveling at the fact that the the maintenance mechanics that traveled with the airplane could serve as a football team as well. Yeah, right. right. Exactly. I mean, if you if you have a need to move something um, by air that will only fit in a C five or will only fit in you know an AN two two four or something like that, well, then it kind of becomes a moot point. Yeah, you that's true. Whatever, whatever it takes to, to get it done. And there are people out there who are willing to, to um, you know, operate these airplanes for that eventuality. Well, but, think, uh, think, that's, that's think, more think about the airplanes having. that have been modified to do this kind of stuff. Sure, sure. Uh, yeah, and, and maybe they'll start turning them into, uh, you know, uh, firebombing tankers or something. That would be a sight to see. Wouldn't it, though? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, to, that's a build the big airplane. I'm, I'm sorry? It's a big airplane. To... to, to Boeing, uh, Airbus has been doing this for years. Boeing's into it now more than they ever have been. And that's moving some very big pars- airplane parts. Yeah. So you were By talking. Air, build a 787. They remodeled two 747s into airplanes that are about the size of the Airbus Super Guppies. Mm-hmm. With yeah. very big, wide-body fuselage parts. Right now, what's the what's the maintenance ratio on those sort of airplanes, which are somewhat proven cargo car- you know uh, platforms? I would wager it's probably seven to ten hours per flight hour. Okay, just to make sure all the it's, systems are up to speed. Yeah. It's less, that's for certain. Is that because it's a fundamentally better airplane, or because they're just good at it now? Yes. Yeah, okay. You guys are terrible. Yeah. I was well, that's the other thing I was listening to the podcast and you guys always say depends. It depends. It does. Yeah, come on, put a stake in the ground, make a stand, stand well, up for something. Pick pick an anchor point. Uh that kind of maintenance for that kind of cargo plane is probably pretty reasonable for the debonair that Jane that Jeb flies or the Comanche that we used to own. That would be freaking outrageous. We'd never be able to afford to fly the suckers mm-hmm. if we had to have five or six hours of mechanic-proven, signed-off maintenance done for every hour that we flew. Well, then, the, then that's what is the answer to that? What is that ratio? What does your average personal airplane take in terms of maintenance per flight hour? Oh, it's probably an hour for every fifteen to twenty hours yeah. on our part. No, David. David, David, here, here's the here's the answer. Jackson's going to love it. And the answer is it depends. <laughs> okay. Welcome, you, folks. How much? <laughs> go ahead. Welcome, folks, <laughs> to episode 256 of Uncontrolled Airspace, the General Aviation Podcast. Clear. background noise throughout the day but it's just airplanes so it's not it's, it's not really noise. good background noise That's yeah right. this is this is the best seat in the house That's right. we got sky riders now we got sky riders, we got now. Sky riders they, now does that say you can't i can't it's got a runway in the front yard <laughs>
And you're on site, clear land. Turkey's National Ground, good afternoon, sir. Taxi via Foxtrot and Alpha. Um, someone asked me the other day whether uh, we have a, a Y, let's see if I can do this, a UCAP 0.25K problem. Um, we've now reached, someone said, said, um, what are we going to do now that we can no longer be an 8-bit podcast? That's a real geeky computer thing. <laughs> I, I, oh, yeah, I get that. I yeah, get that. Okay. And, I, and my, answer was, my, my answer was, hey, from the very beginning, UCAP has been a 16-bit podcast. Come on. Um, so uh, we're recording this episode. <laughs> it will remain so, yeah. That's right, yeah. Well, it's been a 16-bit podcast with two-bit talent, so. <laughs> yeah. there you go. There you go. We're recording this episode. You know, we're working above the bit level, believe That's us. Right. On Thursday, uh, September 29, 2011, and uh, joining me here in the uh, virtual hangar is my, uh, my um, wackier-than-usual good friends, myself included, by the way. Um, Dave Higdon's out there. He's talking to us from Wichita, Kansas. Hi, Dave. How you doing? Uh, oh, you know, this is, uh, I wish we had our own airplane right now because for the last 10 days, I'd have been dragging my butt out to the strip every evening about now just because. Yeah. It's nice. just been that kind of weather. Oh, uh, yeah, I bet. Huh? Really nice. Yeah. And tomorrow I'm going down to Dead Cow for a little while in the afternoon and see if I can't sponge a ride to Ponca City in exchange for buying breakfast. Hey, there you go. That's a good trade. I, I, Yeah. That's oh yeah, I'll be getting a better part of the deal. What's the latest on the tail dragger thing? Have you had a chance to make any more progress with that? Uh, you know, I flew with the gentleman this past weekend. Mm-hmm. Uh, my, my, my buddy Ben Ben Vis, Ben Sorensen, mm-hmm. who spent seven point five years rehabbing a Cessna one ninety five mm-hmm. uh, that is functional. It is not a showbird. It's not a hangar queen, and uh, he's like me. I've got a road trip coming up real shortly that's jamming up a whole lot of my work schedule. Uh, and he's got a couple of road trips for his work, which is DER level stuff and test flying stuff. He does still does experimental flight tests. And it's a, yeah, death push. No. But after NBAA, uh, we're going to get together. We're going to work on the tailwheel, and, you know, which is going to become a BFR. Uh-huh. And uh, then getting me signed off on a uh, LSA category antique so that I can just show up at Dead Cow and take the mother away for hours at there a time. There you go, huh? There you go. How, where are you in the uh, tail dragger process? Are you able to actually land it yet, or is he still following you along pretty closely? If I'd have paid attention 20 years ago, I wouldn't be going through this now. Yeah. Uh-huh. Right. right. Yeah. I've done, I've done all this stuff in multiple airplanes, multiple times, going back many, many years. Mm-hmm. Uh, we didn't pay a lot of attention to the paperwork because it wasn't required. And then when I moved up to the stuff where it was required, I was focused more on other stuff and never kind of went, you know, I should be logging this training time so I could get the sign-off. Would you do that? Right. Yeah. Do the regs require a particular number of hours, or is it no. CFI discretion? CFI, CFI discretion. It, it is. is. Yeah. yeah. yeah okay. strictly. I'm, and I'm, I'm, I'm the same way. I've... I've been in enough tail draggers i've got you know the skills i just need to to polish up and yeah i'm gonna go ride with an instructor and it's over with yeah and and by the way that uh, i just that, haven't done it that voice is jeb burnside who's talking to us from somewhere near sarasota florida um Who and why we're the gang's all here that's we're, right we're, um we're still in intros yeah so you were going to go flying if i were you're going to go flying in the champ to do your tail wheel is that that's what the plan is, yeah. is and, and uh, it's probably going to happen here in the next month or so. Very cool. 
Yeah, it's very just cool. a matter. It's just a matter of doing it. I'm actually trying to get uh, Dave to um, do some other training for a friend of mine. This is Champ Dave, not our Dave. Right. Yeah. The, the, Cor- correct. Jeb's neighbor Dave. Dave. Yeah. Exactly Dave, right. Dave, Whit- Dave Whitman. Yeah. And and the cool thing is, if I can get through this, there are three tailwheel LSA category airplanes that are underflown, and the deal with the owners is leave them topped off. Yeah. Put gas in it. Really? Right. Put gas in it. I got a T craft. I got a Champ, and and a Ronca Chief. Ooh. So you know, very, very like, nice, very nice. The, the incentive, the incentive is high. There's a bunch of stuff I want to do, and none of it requires going very far, very fast for very long. Yeah, yeah. I, actually, Dave and I have a um, an event uh, mid October that we might fly to, mm-hmm. and if if we and we probably take the champ if we do. Yeah, very cool. Uh, yeah. Dave, so, Dave is up to him. Log yeah. sometime. Yeah, your neighbor Dave is just so to complete the circle here is the one who gave me the champ ride about a year and a half ago, and uh, exactly. yeah, it was, uh, it was about yeah about a year and a half. ago. Yeah, it was exactly sun and fun. Not this year; it was a year ago. So yeah. yeah, I was thinking it was two years ago when we were when you were down here for um, ah, the stand down. It, yeah, it, no, was, it was it was sun and fun twenty ten. Right, that's that's when we did a whole bunch of crap together. Yeah. Yep, that's right. So that was pretty cool. What else is going on, Jeb? How you doing? I'm well. Uh, great week so far. Uh, getting a lot of things accomplished, um, and uh, you know, just projects and, and stuff like that around the house. Uh, He's been working on leprechaun projects. That's right. That's right. Really, little, little bitty people. Yeah, little bitty people running around. Yeah. Wait, 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 wait. When you say leprechaun, Dave, I think uh, dead cow. Are we talking about a different leprechaun? Different kind of leprechaun. Where I'm thinking something green. Okay, so wait, no, never mind. I'm not even going there. Forget it. I'm not going there. Either. Forget it. And I'm Jack Hodgson, and I'm coming to you from uh, high atop Lookout Point. In uh, now, this is the Red Sox that I know and love, Nottingham, New Hampshire. <laughs> For anybody who's not keeping track, today is the day after the big disaster, failure, end of the baseball season. Where, you know, the the Red Sox of my youth, the the you know can't get a break or can't, you know, will choke and burn and crash at the, you know, every year Red Sox that I grew up with reappeared this past year. And uh, it was ugly. But, you know, that there was a whole lot of teams yeah. that oh, yeah. ended in, ended farther, farther back than they were just a couple of dozen games ago. Yeah. I mean, There's I, been a lot of imploding going on. Uh, matter of fact, if baseball was more in tune with E equal MC square. There would be a black hole on the East Coast right now. Yeah, I know. I mean, for for those who are not so quite so emotionally attached, like myself and many other Red Sox fans, yesterday was a really astounding day in baseball. Um, to to be the final day of the regular season and to have like three or four different um, positions still up for grabs, and there were games that went into extra innings, and it was just, I mean, it was just a miraculous day. I mean, above and beyond the Red Sox historic crash. Um, it, it was an amazing day in baseball yesterday because so. This is what I've been saying. Well, no, it's not a baseball podcast. It's an airplane. If podcast. baseball were aviation, the NTSB would have a special purpose field office in Austin, the way they do in Alaska. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. So, anyways, um, what's going <laughs> on here? Where are we? I've completely lost track of what we're doing here and what we're talking about. What's on the list here? What's Thank on- God you didn't uh, lose control. What's on the There's list? I list. went to. Yeah, there's a list. I went to, uh, it's in the same place it is every single week. Um, 
So I went to uh, this past weekend. I went to the AOPA Summit, uh, their big annual, Ooh. what used to be called the Expo. Uh, that was uh, is, here. Is that a summit so high you need oxygen to go there? Yeah, no, it wasn't very high at all. But uh, it was kind of fun. Um, it, it's funny, you know, not to to diminish or to, to whatever the the importance of the AOPA Summit because it certainly is. A, I, from talking with folks who attend it, it clearly has a lot of value to a lot of people who don't get a chance to have direct contact with all these products and all these airplanes and all these experts and whatnot. But when I go, when I've gone to this event in the past, I I always have the same reaction, which is I was just at Oshkosh. I just saw all this stuff. You know, it's like, well, what's, you know, I don't, it doesn't work for me. So, so the, 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 the event, the the conference part of, of summit was kind of lost on me. Uh, I went to a couple of, of seminars and they were interesting, but nothing really outstanding. The exhibit hall is, is, is relatively small by comparison, certainly by comparison to Oshkosh. Um, the, uh, the, on the ramp, uh, displays, you know, the airplanes they have out at the air, local airport is interesting, but, but tiny by comparison. So, um, you know, it kind of is what it is. For me, the great thing about going to AOPA Summit was all of the people I ran into. I mean, I knew I was going to run into some people. I ran into a whole bunch of people that I, I didn't expect to run into, and that was very, very cool. I, uh, so this was the first time you've been to an AOPA convention, summit, no, Expo. actually, second. Um, I went to one a long, second. long, long time ago uh, when it was in oh, San Jose, no. California. And that's where I, my first time I got this impression of like, you know, well, what's the big San Jose? Year? Yeah. And, you went uh, to San Jose? I went to San Jose, and it would be like 12 years, 12 plus years ago. So whenever that year that year was. Uh, well, I think they only been to San Jose twice. Yeah. So I was at San Jose. In, yeah, uh, me too. Mid, mid-90s. Yeah. We, yeah. yeah. You, you guys, we could, the three of us could you, sit you down. You and I tag teamed it, Jeb. Yeah. The three of us could sit down and make a list of the places where we all crossed paths, all right, yeah, you know, right. Um, before, well, at least before I knew you guys. So, uh, yeah, that's happened before. Um, what was I talking about? The people I met at Summit. Uh, very, very cool. Uh, lots of, of uh, uh, podcasts. I ran into a bunch of podcast listeners. We had a little impromptu, well, not impromptu, but a little uh, quickly scheduled uh, meetup in a, uh, a little bar across the street from the convention center, and that was fun, about a half a dozen that's listeners. That's a good choice. Yeah, we found one right across the street. It was very and a very nice one too. So we were over there for a couple hours uh, one evening, and that was fun. Um, uh, some of our, our our regular friends, uh, Turbo was there. The our, our friend, the RV and helicopter pilot, was there. Uh, Jeff Ward was there. Jim Goldman was there. Um, and then, well, we saw we saw them when Jeb and I went to uh, the one in Tampa two years ago. Yeah, they sound like they're regulars there. So uh, yeah, yeah. So, and then a bunch of a handful of new friends that I'd never met before. Um, it was very very cool to meet them, and uh, so that was nice. Um, and uh, who else did I meet? Uh, I had a chance to talk to Hal and Sandy Shevers for a few minutes. That was very nice. Uh, and uh, I, and I spent a long time. It was very interesting. I, I I'm not sure if the listeners really care about this, but I did spend in fact spend a long time hanging out at uh, Craig Barnett's booth, uh, Scheme Designers. And uh, Craig's a good friend of ours and a friend of the podcast and his business, Scheme Designers. Is uh, is in the business of helping people design the paint scheme and, in fact, get their airplane painted. And uh, for the first time ever, I actually hung out at his booth while he was talking to prospects, and it was very interesting to listen to how he characterizes well, his business and the benefits of it. And uh, Craig's um, also done design work for aircraft manufacturers right, and yeah. airlines so. and. 
Yeah, uh, so we had a long conversation, um, a long visit, um, and uh, that was kind of fun. Uh, so I, 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 it was, it was, it was interesting. I mean, the expo itself, I, I, it was kind of, again, it's valuable for lots of people. For me, it's kind of a push, but all the people I ran into was terrific. That, that was really great. I've attended it where I was working heavy duty, where I was floating, uh, and spots in between. And it's never failed to be a show that I was glad I went to once I got back home. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the reasons are all over the map and depend on the, you know, the year and the situation and where I had to go and all that stuff. So, uh, but as an educational event, there's still a lot of good stuff on play there. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. So, so AOPA uh, summit, formerly known as AOPA expo was, uh, was fun. And, uh, um, you know, I'm not sure if I'd travel across the country to attend, but I would attend again if it was on this half of the country. And uh, I'm not Well, I'd, I'd hope to get there this year, but assignments and work commissions being what they were, uh, other things had to hold sway. And yeah. 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 They were here in Tampa a couple of years ago, and I went to that, obviously, and Dave, you were down for that, I think, too. Um, and, it, and it was a good show. It was a good time. Yeah. They're um, apparently going to, I want to say, yeah, Palm Springs. Palm Springs a, next time. Yeah, and, uh, yeah I'm not going to. Palm Springs out. is one of their regular West Coast destinations. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. has always been good at attracting. It's it's, it's, a it's really strong their, crowd. Yeah, it's been one of their traditional destinations. Yeah, back when they used to they used to call it the plantation party. Oh, really? Okay. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Going all the way back, I've yeah. got a plantation party mug in my in my kitchen. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. So that was the AOPA Summit, and uh, uh, it was great meeting all the folks that I met, and, uh, you know, that's that's the best part of it. Uh, yep. Absolutely. So here's an interesting YouTube video. Uh, the, uh, the, the title of the YouTube video is Climbing Out Dead Stick. And when I first saw this title, I thought at first that it was that uh, there's that that sort of legendary uh, video of the guy who does a so quote unquote dead stick takeoff, right. where he, he rolls down the steep hill at the top of a mountain and manages to take off and then glide for a long distance down to a landing on a on a sandbar on a river way down low 1500 feet or something like that lower. But that's not what this is. This is uh, a video of a guy flying, apparently a Taylor Craft, although all we see is the inside of the cockpit. And, Looks like a Taylor Craft yoke. Yeah. And so he's flying this Taylor Craft, and he's at some, some altitude. He's not on the ground, but he's at some altitude, and uh, he shuts off the engine, <laughs> and he starts thermaling. And he he managed, taps the altimeter after he shuts the engine off. Yeah, well, he's constantly tapping the altimeter. And at first, I wasn't—I was wondering what that was all about. I was wondering maybe he was just trying to call the viewer's attention to the altimeter. And although he is trying to call their our attention to the altimeter, he's also tapping it because he needs it to get unstuck. Because it's <laughs> you know it, it's well, not it, stuck. That's just how slowly he's climbing. Well, but if you watch every, it's hard to see a lot of the video because it's in shadow. But every now and then. He taps it, and at the same time that the sun passes across it, and you can see that as he taps it, it kind of the friction releases and it kind of jumps up a little bit more. And okay, so, you know whatever you say. Yeah. So, uh, but well, he really the important first thing of all, first here of all, is that 
the altimeter keeps going up. Going up, yeah. Jeb, what were you going to say? I was going to say he needs to get his altimeter checked. Yeah, well, that maybe. But uh, it, pretty cool. He thermals this thing. If you know, and he, every now and then the video kind of kind of jumps ahead. So you know, to take out the well. Perhaps to take out the you know kind of long stretches of just climbing. <laughs> He's taking out his earplugs. <laughs> yeah. But uh, he manages to thermal up a, a, a few thousand feet at least, um, and uh, it's kind of cool uh, that that uh, you know he got some good strong thermals to 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 lift this thing up you know quite a distance, I'm and then after he reaches a certain altitude, he then starts to come down, and you see him glide all the way down to a landing. So uh, one of the best thermaling motorized machines I've ever flown was a single cylinder single seat part 103 Max Air Drifter had a 28 horse single cylinder Rotax on the back 35 foot wingspan 5 foot cord full span ailerons uh and all the weight was saved in the fact that the spars didn't have to carry the load of a two-seater and the horsepower of a two-seater and the box frame under it weighed 250 pounds empty mm-hmm. and 254 is the limit but you could shut that puppy down and cruise around adjacent to the airport where we were flying them for well it, it actually depended on how big of an asshole you wanted to be if you wanted to keep the airplane so you must have done a really good job at, oh never mind <laughs> I, I, I was very very good at it trust me because yeah. uh when i started flying these little single seat drifters i had several hundred hours in hang gliders and a really nice understanding of soaring that i could do it in this non-foot launchable machine and hang out. I can hang out and over this field a half a mile from the airport where we flew in Pennsylvania for pretty much all afternoon during the summer if I wanted to. But there were other guys waiting in line to fly, so I would hold it to about twenty minutes. Yeah, and that's then, your story. And, and, and then just dead it, stick right? in, just yeah. dead stick in. You didn't even have to fire the engine back up because it had a, a nice enough glide ratio. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, I mean. It, it was as nice as any primary glider that I've ever flown, any primary sailplane I've ever flown, yeah. uh, except it didn't take a tow. <laughs> right, yeah. So this is a, a YouTube video. Um, uh, uh, Jeff will put a link in the show notes, of course, um, but you can try and find it by searching on its title, which is Climbing Out Dead Stick. Um, and the author's name is, or at least his YouTube name, is Pops Dory, P-O-P-S-D-O-R-Y. Um, Pops Dory actually has a handful of other videos in his YouTube uh, account here that are aviation-related. And uh, Pops, that's that so cool, and I, I, I'm empathetic to the max. I mean, you spent all day, all afternoon up there flying around in your T-Craft getting, you know, 8 million miles per gallon. Yeah. And, he, and he, so he lands, and he actually does a little Bob Hoover where he rolls out right up onto the ramp and stops right in front of the hangar. Uh, it was kind of cool. Kind of cool. Very cool. Yeah. Um, another and, ho- the thing, that, and, and if you look at how cheap T-Craft can be. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And and T, all T-Craft, some T-Craft are, uh, are LSA uh, uh, eligible, all, right? All the old ones are LSA compatible, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Trying to bring a story up in my browser here. Um, so a little bit of a change of pace. So this is kind of a sad story, but it, it prompts a, a, a practical question for me. 
Um, so apparently a sightseeing plane that took people up to uh, view Mount Everest uh, crashed recently, and 19 people were killed, and that's, of course, very, very sad. Um, let's see if the, let's see the story. Airplane comes. head was too short of full capacity because that's a Beach 1900, uh-huh. and it's a 19-seat airliner. Yeah, I can't. I can't load the L.A. Times website. Me neither. It's uh, is the whole website down or just that story? I, Let's see. I, I, I've, I've, I've got it. There's two stories I'm trying to load. Both of them won't load. Yeah, I've got the home page of the L.A. Times, so it's not the whole website. But uh, anyways, we don't necessarily need that. Oh wait a minute, it came up finally. Now it came up. Um, yeah, Nepal plane crash kills 19 after Mount Everest flight. Two Americans among tourists killed on Buddha Air flight that tried to land in rain and dense fog police say and there's a pretty you know, at least in terms of airframe a pretty gruesome picture <laughs> I think I'm going to Catman dude yeah I know huh? I would really love to go there that would be uh, you know anyways the Certainly, we want to commiserate with all the uh, the, uh, the the folks who, who suffered losses in this thing. It prompts a more practical question for me, and that is the whole idea. I wanted to do some research, and I failed, um, to find out what airport these things operate out of. Um, you know, because they're, they're operating in some pretty thin air, and I wondered whether there are special procedures or if this is a thing. You know, I mean, it's like, you know, they're... Well, look up Kathmandu Airport. Is that what it says here? Yeah, reporting. That's that's where they came from. Right. All right. Let's see what we can come up with here. Kathmandu Airport. You know, and you think know of the, Leadville on a bad day. You know yeah. what the you know what the investigator said when he got word of the accident? What's that? I think I'm going to Kathmandu. <laughs> yeah. Okay. It's uh, really, really where he was going to. Uh-huh. If he ever got out of there, that's what he's going to do. Tribuvan, I'm probably pronouncing that wrong, Tribuvan uh, Airport, Tribuvan International Airport, Kathmandu, Coord- elevation, 4390. So it's not incredibly high. Um, but uh, It's not much higher than, it, it. it's certainly not in Leadville territory. It's yeah, lower right. than Denver. No, it's not. It's yeah. not. I've, I've landed at airports higher than that. So has Yeah, me too. Because I, I was curious whether or not the elevation played into the the crash and 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 whether there are any special you know uh, elevation a, plays into the how the airplane performs. Oh, well, absolutely. No Especially if it's going to be circling the summit of Mount Everest, you know, it's kind of like. Well, this was after the circle. But this is after the circling, yeah. and, and, this is and, and, and while trying to land, wasn't it? Right. Try, Apparently, yeah, trying, trying to land, to land and, and whether this is this is maybe, maybe not an elevation related accident. You know, maybe this is just more of a weather. You know, IFR. The one thing I'm not clear on is were they landing back at Kathmandu or were they trying to land somewhere closer to the base of the mountain? Right. Yeah, I don't, I don't know that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't as, know. What does the story say here? Let's see now. Well, the, if you look at what Jiminy uh, Everest is no longer the the you know the the grail of climbing. In the sense that it once was, it's now, you know, somewhere close to an e-ticket ride at an e-ticket Disney. Oh, I'm not sure if that's an accurate statement. I, if I, you look at the floor of the flow of people that go through to climb Everest every year, that I will accept. A lot of people do it. Um, a lot of people do it. It's very dangerous still. Um, it, oh, it, uh, a the, lot the, of people die. The unforgivable, the unforgiving nature of the conditions. No question. Yeah, that okay. doesn't change. What I'm talking about here is though is something that's become more routine, uh, which is called into question how some of these climbs are done because 
there have been instances of more people having problems with some of the climbs than, than back when it was only the serious expert climbers. Now you got people that condition themselves for months to go do these and pay thousands of dollars, but they're not really mountaineers. Right. They're going on a guided climb. No, I agree. Uh, it's a tourist thing now. That's true. Right. Yeah. And so with the flights, the question is, if they were flying out of Kathmandu, that's a relatively low elevation airport. If they were flying out of a, a strip closer to where the base camps are, that's 10, 11,000 feet MSL. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a quantum above in terms of what it does to airplane performance. Uh, 4,000 and change, a quantum above. Right. I'm, I'm reading this story. It's not clear. It, it suggests, no, it doesn't really even suggest that. Uh, the crash of a Beechcraft 1900 Delta aircraft operated by Buddha Air went down in Kotdanda, about 10 miles from the capital, Kathmandu, killing everyone on board just minutes before it's okay, scheduled it scheduled return. Like so kept, I think kept. it was on approach. Um, sounds like controlled flight into terrain. Let's see now. Um, witnesses, like they were approaching the wrong airport. That's possible. W- witnesses uh, told uh, the te- local television network the plane was flying very low. We were surprised. It crashed into the hill, and there was a huge explosion. Um, others reported seeing flames coming from the plane just before it crashed, but that's notoriously um, a bad report. You hear that all the time. You never, you never know. Could be true, maybe not. Uh, let's see now. Uh, the early morning flight reportedly had its last contact with air traffic controllers at 7.31 before crashing four minutes later. Um, 18 people died immediately. Others died on the way or shortly after arriving at the hospital. Um, so, I don't know. I don't know. I was just wondering whether there was anything to talk about regarding operating in that kind of thin air environment. You know. Well, I mean, there always is, uh, especially when you're operating at a higher altitude than your home airport, mm-hmm. um, or for that matter, a lower altitude than yeah. your home. Airport. I mean, what's the summit of Mount Everest? It's like what twenty something thousand feet or something. Twenty nine thousand plus. Yeah. They, they can get some hopped up helicopters up there, but that's about it. Yeah. You don't want to go near it with a right. But you you can fly around it. At eighteen yeah. or twenty, right, mm-hmm. and just have a spectacular piece of scenery to suck in. Sure. I mean, you know, you're going to want an eighty gig card for your digital camera uh, because it's just striking scenery. I bet, I bet, and you get to look up at the mountaintop. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. So Part of I, me know, wants to, as far as as far as this accident being a high altitude accident, though, I mean that's uh, you know have to kind of wait and see. But on its face, it doesn't sound like it. No, hey, no, they, I I, they, they I agree. High. I yeah. agree. But yeah. but but your your contention is correct. Yeah. Uh, I remember having a, a a mild dispute with an elderly former flight instructor once over me leaning my airplane for a mag check. Right on the ground. On, on the ground. Yeah. When it, at 7.30 in the morning, it was already pushing 90 degrees, and the density altitude was already, you know, we, we were above 4,000 feet. And it stuck out in me that a guy with so much experience and so many hours and so much time as in flight instructing still had this ground-based cutoff where elevation was concerned, altitude was concerned. Uh 
it, it, it really kind of shocked me, but I've heard in conversation many times since then that the the density altitude thing you think about on the ground only if you're worried about the runway really being too short. Yeah. yeah. And then not thinking about it at all at altitude. Oh, I'm cruising at 7,500 feet. Well, yeah, okay. Uh, pressure altitude, you're at 7,500 feet. Density altitude, where are you? Because it always seemed more efficient to set the engine up for the density altitude and not the pressure altitude because density altitude is what the engine's got to play with. Right. And I know that sucks, but that's just how the engine works. Right. Yeah. So um, one of the genuine bits of uh, news that came out of uh, uh, AOPA Summit was that uh, EAA and AOPA jointly announced uh, the, a proposal that they are going to try and um, uh, press through or you know make happen to uh, follow through on this. A lot of people have been talking over the last couple of years about the idea of, of extending the whole sport pilot thing of where you don't need a, a, a an FAA medical and you can self-certify if you've got a driver's license and that kind of thing. And uh, apparently EAA and AOPA are going to jointly propose to the FAA that uh, that pilots be allowed to fly certain airplanes. And there's a, there's a spec involved here. Um, on, on, I guess, non-commercial. I don't have the whole wording of it in front of me here, but uh, um, with... In, in a nutshell, non-commercial, yeah. no more than 180 horsepower fixed gear. Yeah. No more than 6,000-pound airplane. Right. And I think there was another thing in there, although some of the airplanes that would qualify are four-seaters, you were only going to be able to carry two people oh, while while exercising this thing and things like that. Um, and then they also... I, I, I didn't hear about a seat limit. Just I, I, I saw mean, that someplace. 6,000, and I don't buy that, 6,000 pounds is awfully big for a two-seater. Yeah, here we go. In this uh, in this AvWeb story that we're looking at, the, uh, the, the final paragraph, AOPA and EAA suggest the limit might be a maximum of four seats with no more than 180 horsepower fixed gear and right, day, VF, yeah, but day VFR flights only with one passenger is what I they're... Can, I can get behind the day VFR thing. Um, or I can get behind the VFR thing. I don't need. I don't think they need to make it strictly uh, day VFR. Yeah. But um, um, what I can't get behind is restricted to two people, or um, uh, maybe there's some other limitations in there. You know, anything under six thousand pounds is basically a personal airplane, mm -hmm. and you, you know, people are rolling around in forty thousand pound motorhomes without and, any special and training. I don't know of any 6,000-pound, 880-horse uh, airplanes. Yeah. I think 6,000 pounds, but hell, yeah. well, maybe a T-28 is a 6,000-pound well, two-place airplane. But 6,000 6, pounds. It's not 180 horse. Yeah, yeah well, 6,000 pounds will get you a Baron, but, you know, we're not talking about twins. Right. Um, uh, maybe, maybe in Navajo. I don't know. I'm not sure. Um, but All uh, those are way over 180 horsepower. Yeah. I well, think yeah. just 6,000 yeah. well, pounds alone is... A, yeah, is that it was the, other thing, the horsepower thing. That's you know, come on. Yeah, seriously. Well, you know what I think they're trying to you know, do. Why, here? No, I, what they're trying to do is trying to open the door here a little bit. I get that. Well, but uh, beyond but, that, but, go but, ahead, Jim. But, but what they should be doing is going for broke. Say, look, guys, we're not going to accept any horsepower limitations. We're not going to accept any weight limitations. We're not going to accept you know anything else. This is you should just do this for Part ninety one single pilot ops. Of a you know personally owned airplane. Yeah, but that's personally too hard. Well, what they're then, doing. Then, then they might get a 250 horsepower limit instead well, of going you. in with a 180. I hear you. Okay. 
they, they're setting the, the bar too damn low. No, no. Here's yeah, what I exactly. think they're doing because they repeatedly during this whole thing um, mention the safety record of a sport pilot and how. Yeah. Okay? okay. And so what they're trying to do is leverage off the fact they're saying these specs work for sport pilot. We've 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 used these generally. We've used these specs for sport pilot, and it's resulted in zero medical related I, 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 fatalities. I got to go with Jeb. I got to go with Jeb. And it, it and we got to remember we've been down this path before. That's right. That's right. Paul Poberesny and he personally and in EAA petitioned to go in this direction thirty years ago. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the Brent, FAA Brent sat on the recently, petition right? for a long time. Finally got shamed into responding to the bloody thing. Mm-hmm. Well, they made this and it a was big... not a medical response. It was not a scientific response. It was a I can't imagine doing it that way. Response, and and you're right. That's no imagination at all. Yeah. Well, they the AOPA and EAA are apparently going to make a big deal out of this because they made this the lead subject when uh, Craig and oh. and oh, Rod yeah. got together um, for their little joint keynote on Saturday morning at the at Summit. So hopefully they'll at least press it as hard as they possibly can, and maybe we'll maybe we'll get some motion on this. It would you be, know what you, you know what you know what rubs me here a little bit. What's that? Well, the I'm not sure if I want to know. Using the track record of the LSA community, yeah, five years old. That's right. When the private pilot community is decades and tens of thousands of pilots bigger, and the safety records comparable. Oh, okay, yeah. I mean, why are we citing yeah, this new? Yeah, yeah safety it, it, stats don't don't really tell. If you're going to cite safety stats, let's cite all the safety stats, okay? And and let's talk about you know, let's talk about taking taking bush flying out of it. Let's talk about taking EMS flying out of it. Let's talk about taking firefighting out of it. Let's talk about taking flight training out of it. Let's talk about taking seaplanes out of it. Let's talk about taking. Uh, aerial application out of it. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about uh, taking out um, acro. Let's start talking about taking out um, uh, anything other than just you know straight and level recreational flying. Well, and that's Why all public you... information. Has anybody done that? Sure. And and if if you look at, uh, you know, and we've talked about this an episode or two ago. If you then you start taking uh, out the fuel mismanagement or fuel starvation incidents. Um, you start taking out the I, uh, um, VFR into IMC accidents and just stupid pilot tricks generally, and you're left with a very safe community. And that's yeah. the community we're talking about. Yeah. Well, fortunately, yeah. where we are here, I think, is in a serious – you've heard of trial balloons? I think this is a trial balloon on helium. Because they've not submitted a proposal yet. They're anticipating submitting a proposal early next year. Well, on the off chance anyone at AOPA and or EAA is listening to us that are in a position to influence this decision. Yeah, I guys, wouldn't listen. listen guys, to go, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't listen to us either. But um, um, Guys, go for broke. Think bigger. I mean, when you start talking about things, well, this single medical, non-medical standard would apply up to ATP. Uh, okay. I know guys that have ATPs that only own Skyhawks. Right. You know, that's that's all well and good. But to say that a guy could have an ATP and not be able to fly a 250-horsepower airplane where the wheels fold up, it's 4,500 pounds, and he can carry his wife and two kids in it. Right. You know, it, it's, it, it, it's nonsensical. 
The other point to make here is that airplanes are not falling out of the sky because uh, oh. people are getting sick and, and, and dying in the airplane. Okay. Right. Most of the incapacitation episodes we've seen or heard about in recent years involve hypoxia and a failure of the oxygen system or, or failure to, to use an oxygen system. So, I don't know. I mean, the whole thing is, is uh, you know, nothing will ever change unless they start thinking a little bit, a little bit bigger. Put, you know, set your sights a little bit higher here, guys. Um, because if you don't, it's just going to get knocked out. And, and uh, you know, at least t- take something in to negotiate. Don't give it all the way up front. Yeah. And most of my friends that are crash victims are way young. And they're not flying when they're in a crash. Yeah. Oh, I see. Yeah, right. Okay. A couple of stories on the list uh, uh, following up on the uh, Reno tragedy. Um, David, you called our attention to a series of uh, really interesting photographs, um, a, uh, a photo gallop- gallery about uh, the galloping ghost under construction. Um, pretty interesting stuff, David. What, 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 tell us about what, what it was we were looking at there. Well, you're basically looking at the... I, I think we'd be calling it short if we didn't say the remanufacture of a P-51D into right. the airplane that was called Galloping Coast. Right. These pictures really go to my point about this not being a P-51. Right. Exactly. Being, being pretty far away from being a P-51. I mean, they, well, at the very least, they stripped this thing down to all the individual pieces of metal and put it all back together again. I mean, this well, is... And, and it, I, I feel the same way about calling it an antique. Oh, exactly. Yes. Right. Yeah. You know, no, this has uh, got modern modern primer on the airframe. The engine sparkles. You know, all the components have been overhauled and freshly painted. Yeah. Um, if it wasn't such no, a tragic circumstance, yeah. this would be fascinating pictures. They, this is just, and there's a lot of them. I only just skimmed them. Um, but I, I, it, there are so many parts of the airplane that remain in common with the original design. Uh, although the wingspan's been altered dramatically. The plan form is roughly the same, and the airfoil is the same. Mm-hmm. That didn't get changed. Uh, the elimination of the uh, of the trademark belly scoop that was part of the cooling system of the original P-51s, uh, that one just blows me away. How the hell does it cool itself off? Yeah. Because believe me, that puppy is making excess heat. Everybody here knows, right, that... Most of the energy created in an internal combustion engine does not go to moving the vehicle. It goes out the radiator and the right. exhaust pipe. That's right. And this it's puppy was doing that in grand style. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, uh, as I've said before, it's a state-of-the-art machine. There's just a lot of amazing stuff going on here. Uh, well, and I, I always had to chuckle at the uh, powered by Packard lettering. Because Packard's not a name you hear a lot of, and it's since 1960. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, interesting pictures. Um, uh, uh, Jeff will, of course, put a link in the show notes too. But it's uh, if you want to try and track it down. In the meantime, the the site is called WarbirdAeroPress.com, and it's WarbirdAeroAeropress.com. And then you're gonna to to do some digging, but we'll put a, a the detailed link in the show did, notes. Did I? Did I put Thanks, a subsequent Jeff. link in with a video that was absolutely one of the most 
Yeah, it was it was a very well done video. Yeah, I, I don't think this is the video that we were talking about earlier um, a couple days ago. Um, someone has put together a video uh, that is a collection of uh, of shots of that race, and in particular showing um, you know as they took off, as they were as they were starting up, as they were taxiing, as they were taking. They were off. videotaping the heat. Yeah, right. and then uh, and then the uh, some of the laps leading up to the uh, the crash lap. And uh, and then when he got to the crash lap, he uh, did some really interesting. First of all, he had some good footage to begin with, right, and yeah. then he, he slowed really it down work. really nicely um, and replayed it three or four times at different speeds. And he really had a chance to see some of the things that you've heard reports about. Um, yeah, it was yeah. a really interesting piece of video. What what did you guys think was most notable about that video? You know, related to right, other things you'd seen. Two things going on. Uh, one was. Um, the, air, the galloping ghost was was already in a, a I'd call it seventy five degree banks turn bank to the left Big and, and the and the airplane was coming to the camera, um, and it, it was banked left as I say again about seventy five degrees, uh, um, slightly nose down, and all of a sudden it banked more. It banked past vertical. I would say ninety three, ninety four, ninety five degrees, mm-hmm. and it rolled out, it leveled the wings, and it pulled up. It pulled up sharply. Mm-hmm. And at that point, the tail wheel was lowered. Right. The tail wheel was in position. Early in that and climb. It, the, early in, that, in the accident sequence. Right. Right after um, the pitch up. Right. right. Yep. Go ahead, Jeff. It was, well, right, I don't know about right after. It, when, we fir- when we first saw the, the silhouette or could, could get a side view of the airplane, uh, could get a view of the underside of the tail the tail wheel was extended. Yes. Okay. And at this point, the airplane was already pitched up. Yeah. That's, to me, very, very interesting. Yes, I agree. That, that does not comport with, with the information I had going into. Right. And then, um, and, and then the NTSB said something about that, but it was unclear to me exactly what they were saying. Looking at the video, it's perfectly clear. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing was notable is that we had confirmation that although the although the trim tab may have failed earlier, it didn't actually depart the airplane until the very right. top was, of it, the climb. It was still. Hanging, it was yeah, the it was result of the via, It was well, a result of the event. It was not right. causal to the event. Well, I don't know if we know that, but yeah, we don't know that. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. it could have hypothetically the 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 control connection to the trim tab could have broken exactly. so that it was that, ineffective. That, that, that's a different thing. That's a well, different thing. But it is and the, it isn't. The effect is the same. You still lose that trim authority, right. A. But B, it's, it it's perhaps could be indicative of some other failure internal to the fuselage, uh, whether it's a control system failure, a support, a, a, a mounting bracket. Who knows Yeah. Uh, at this stage? Yeah, we don't uh, know. I don't, yeah, I don't know what the. And again, we're not going to figure this out based on this video, but it was a fascinating it, video, and uh, it, it, it's so obvious that the departure itself of the trim tab was not total, and it was way into whatever started this. Yes, the departure. Yeah, I right. agree. Yeah, and uh, uh, I, I agree with Jeb. If the control linkage had failed prior to that, uh, you'd be on. You could be on a really wild ride. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, then, so. and then the thing actually leave. I'd be interested in knowing where the actuator part of it was because part of the trim tab stayed behind. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so, anyways, it's just an interesting. It's just more information. Um, yeah. You know, it's, the video. The video was very interesting. As I say, it, it, I don't know if we talked about this in the last episode. I think we did. We talked about the NTSB's preliminary 
Yeah, uh, maybe, maybe it wasn't out yet. No, I don't think it the was, preliminary I, was out when we recorded not, that episode. Yeah, it was not. Um, but the NTSB's preliminary report, which is available online, and Jeff, please find a link to it, and we'll put it in the show notes. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, it, it it has some confirmatory information in it, and uh, you know things like yes, uh, there was both uh, data and video recording on board the airplane, and yes, they did find uh, memory cards. Right. Um, and there was also telemetry being sent to the ground mm-hmm. in the flight, so they have that data also. Yep. Um, so, you know, all, all of that has been confirmed by the NTSB. Yeah. So, anyways, the other item about the Reno tragedy here, David, you called our attention to a piece from the LA Times. Um, what's notable about this piece? Uh, what struck me as notable about the piece was the sane, straightforward, non-judgmental, non-hyperbolic nature of it, and the familiar my familiarity with one of the names that, that, that produced the piece, uh, Ralph Bartabedian, uh, when I was working on a magazine called Runways in Los Angeles. Uh, he was an L.A. Times reporter on aviation, and uh, there was a lot going on then. Uh, I still can't load that page. In the uh, on the LA Times site, the question, one of the questions that was raised in the article was how the FAA is going to handle the inevitable uh, calls for a look at safety standards, uh, regulations, figuring out how to avoid another Reno air crash was the the, the headline. And it starts right up how the FAA has carefully managed such races and shows for decades, keep the audience at a safe distance, uh, successfully up to this point for decades. And and uh, it's a legitimate question. Uh, it's a question that's not avoidable. Uh, it's a question that's going to have to be resolved because there are people above the FAA that overlook what they do and are elected to office to raise questions like that. Uh, For us, the prime concern is whether their answers to those questions are based on reality or based on hyperbole. And it was nice to see an article that was non-hyperbolic in an environment, about an environment that could be so emotional and prone to hyperbole. So, uh, I thought it was a good piece. Yeah. Moving on. Um, so, so another private, another small airplane, a biplane in this case, has flown into a presidential TFR. This is just getting really kind of discouraging. This is, uh, the president was visiting um, Central California. Um, he was over, I believe, in the uh, Silicon Valley area. I'm not sure um, exactly where he was. It's the San Francisco area. Yeah. Um, And uh, a a biplane based out of Watsonville, um, one of my old uh, stomping grounds, um, flew into the TFR and got intercepted by a uh, a fighter plane and uh, hilarity ensued, you know. Um, (laughs) So, I mean, apparently it's kind of a non-thing. They, they, you know, they eyeballed this guy. He landed. And the story doesn't know what the, uh, the final result was. But obviously nobody... You know, the president is fine. Go well, figure. if the result is too severe, there'll be a court docket entry somewhere that, uh, you know, signals that this guy's being charged 
and uh, targeted to go to a federal penitentiary. Yeah. If One it's thing, less than that, we may never know. One thing notable of this is there's a, there's vid- there's pictures. I'm, I'm now playing this video, which is a risk, but I'm, I want to see this video of, of the uh, of the uh, biplane and the fighter plane. In oh man, it's making. No- it's a commercial. Never mind. Um, so there's uh, there's images of the two airplanes in the same frame, which is just you know, got to hand it to this That's fighter cool. pilot uh, for managing to uh, stay F- in F- the same F- county F- as this biplane. Go ahead, Jeb. Is that an F-15 or an F-18? Uh, you know, I'm I'm legendarily looks bad like an at, 18. Yeah, looks looks like a 15 to me. I'm legendarily bad at at. Uh, it looks like an 18 to me, but then I'm bad at this stuff, so I don't know. Um, anyways. Here's what I want to ask. All right, so what the heck is going on here? Why is this happening so many times? Uh, something's broken here. Why are so many private pilots missing these these First, warnings? Let me, let, let me answer that question by asking this question. All right, yeah, Dave, you go first, and then we'll come to Jeb. Go ahead, David. Okay. Many, many local newspapers, mine included, regularly publicize where the local police will be running speed traps. Okay. Yet people get tickets for speeding in those spots. Okay. What's that tell you? Jeb, what were you going to say? I was going to say bad policy um, from the get-go. And part of the reason it's bad policy is is because it is is outside the norm of, of a lot of behaviors to go investigate whether it's a problem today. Yes, we should all be checking notams, uh, but when you're up, you're living, you're living out in the middle of nowhere, and and you just want to go fly your biplane without a radio. Maybe it's got a radio. I don't know. Um, you, it shouldn't be a threat to anybody. Uh, so yeah, when you're taking off and landing at the same field. Yeah. You, you, first of all, you got bad policy. So, so put, putting that aside, yes, the pilot should know about the airspace limitations near near where he intends to fly. Uh, that's on him. There's no question about it. Um, but you're you basically you're criminalizing an activity that was that, that had formerly been um, non-criminal, and there's no real good purpose to it except some bureaucrat saving some face. I don't know how we're going to ever fix this, uh, but. There's enough of a problem here that it's not just the pilot's fault, but the government has to bear some, some responsibility here also. Yeah. yeah, it's a puzzle. I mean, for, for anything criminal to come out of this, the state would have to be able to prove intent to do a criminal act. And That's mostly true. this is just, you know, inertia, status quo, yeah. laziness. I fly my biplane every Wednesday. It's never been a problem before. Why would I worry about a no-tem? I'm only going to fly around the valley and yeah. come back here. Jeb, whatever became of your lady friend Rose over in the Chicago area? You, f- you know, I was I was just thinking about that. I don't know. I don't know. We should I should yeah. dive into. We will assign uh, that as a homework I, assignment. You may not come up with an answer before we're done here, but maybe we'll talk about it later on. We're trying to put together an episode. Um, Je- an uh, Jeff is inspired by this, and uh, Jeff is uh, is has volunteered to help try and put together a list of some of the stories we've talked about in the past that we weren't able to finish because they were in progress and to go back and kind of, you know, the rest of the story kind of thing. <laughs> Get that? Well, I've never heard of that idea. I know, huh? Anyways, different, it's a different model actually. It actually doesn't even compare. Concept. I know. Anyways, um, 
Yeah, we're gonna we'll try that one of these days. You could but, build a uh, whole radio show around that. I know, huh? Uh, let's see now. So if we if we can find out anything about Rose, we'll we'll figure it. We'll talk about that in the future, maybe even before we're done here. So, so how much longer are we going to make our listeners endure this? Uh, which this today or this? Uh, yes, this today. This today, I'm, I'm guessing. I'm guessing another ten minutes is my guess. Oh, really? Yeah. Dave's got a hot date. This happens all the time. No, no, no. I'm just I'm I'm debating whether to beg for time to go get another beer. <laughs> you want to take a little break here? Go get a beer. I'll be right back. So, anyways, we're reaching. Uh, we're sort of reaching the end of our allotted time here. There's just a whole bunch of things more on the list. Any, any that you don't hey, want to go as long as you want to, dude. I'm, you know, I got a fresh beer. He's got another beer. Now. Yeah, I know. No, 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 no. There's limits to what I'm, what, I, what I'm willing I to. I ask, you know. There's limits to what I'm willing to uh, to uh, uh, ask our listeners to endure. So, uh, um, well, one thing we, we one thing we could talk about if it's if it's the thing I think you're. Yeah. Which one you want to talk about? <clears throat> the FBI sends a message to nations. Yeah. Here's another story that you don't understand why people don't get it, you know. Um, so the story you're talking about is from, oh, and by the way, I, I just find it tickles me that this is perhaps the first time and maybe the, well, no, it's not the only time. This is the first time that in this in this aviation podcast we've ever quoted the uh, uh, TPM, the Talking Points Memo uh, blog, um, a notorious uh, uh, political blog. Uh, FBI sends message. I don't know that it, <laughs> it's not notorious. Well, it's not I, notorious. It, How is it it's, notorious? Well, okay, notor- not notorious in a bad way. It's just it's notor- notable. It's notable. It's a it's no, a it's, somewhat yeah. influential, uh, uh, you know, widely Absolutely. read, uh, widely followed. Um, it also, by the way, is a is a is a terrific example of new media. And I was laughing over the uh, editor's blog on. Talking points memo. Yeah. So uh, the the one you're ta- Dave's talking about here is the headline is FBI sends message to nation's idiots. All right, because they aren't <laughs> are known to speak frankly sometimes. The FBI a little one one paragraph blog entry here. The FBI has a message for the nation's idiots. No, shining lasers into cockpits is not a great idea. In fact, it's a serious felony. And uh, this 24 year old Justin Stouter um, apparently has just been. I, I saw a story elsewhere. Did he get actually convicted, or he's been charged? And uh, they're they're lower in the boom on this guy as an example to you know do not do this. And I just, well, I'm not sure that I would categorize this at anything close to an overreaction, given the proliferation of shopping mall gift store lasers in the hands of numb nuts that think it's cool. Yeah, to light up an airplane and not be bright enough to know that if it blinded them when they went, wow, what's this look at? Look like a couple of days earlier, what it's have to do to a pilot up there who's, uh, you know, spent 15 minutes with his vision adapting to pure dark. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, swat them on the butt with a baseball bat. Yeah, I mean, they're. And they're apparently making some serious charges, and they're trying it's, to make them stick. And uh, it's the high tech equivalent of throwing snowballs at a moving car. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's Which, like hunting it's just, deer with a spotlight. It's just a dumb. Except idea. the deer can't crash an airplane. Yeah, but I, I like Jeb's analogy. Oh yeah. I, yeah. Surely, sure, a deer can crash an airplane. Yeah, I know. Jeb has to worry about it every single time he lands. Well, yeah, you, you, you. I got you. Yeah, you're correct there. A deer can crash an airplane if it's on the runway, but a deer can't crash the runway 
from the cockpit. Yeah. Okay, that's, that's true. Well, it, if yeah. I don't know if you, if you took a deer and put him in my cockpit and equipped me with a parachute so that I could jump and left the deer yeah. in charge of the airplane, I'm pretty much going to guarantee it'll crash. It's going to crash. I know, one, I know one type of mammal other than humans that's capable of crashing, and Rocky and Bullwinkle have never had an accident. Well, that's, that's a very good thing, and, and but David, I you know I, I really I really hate to break this to you, sir. Those are cartoon characters. <laughs> you mean we aren't? <laughs> well, there is that. There is you. There's yeah. you. Okay, yeah. David. Is there an item on this list you don't want to skip? Yeah, yeah. There is. There's just one. Although I'm going to gloss over. A, if you're within the sound of our voice and within a day's drive of Wichita, you may want to come to the Piper Job Fair, and I would ask that they include the link. It's like, I'd like permission from the House to extend my remarks and include them as if I actually said them when I didn't. Right. But, but the gotcha here, so it's good. I'm glad that the jobs are being created or opening up again and, and that the Piper's hiring and um, the part of this that kind of made me a little sad was that these are not jobs in Wichita, right? Hey, we've been pilfered before, okay. and we've pilfered on our own. All right, good. I, I just, I mean, you know, we've gone out and snagged engineers from other parts of the world. Uh, I mean, hell, we've got an Airbus wing design facility here. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah, all right. The Airbus opened up to staff because they could get a bunch of really top-flight engineers that they didn't have to move anywhere. You just needed fiber-optic connections mm-hmm. and people willing to work with folks in another time zone. Yeah, so it's on... Let alone uh, another twilight zone. So lots of engineering jobs, avionics engineering, structures, aerodynamics. There's even some roles for piloting and designated engineering reps so uh and the project in focus is the piper jet altair that's what you'd be working on uh i believe jeb and i have both visited vero beach uh there are worse places in the world to live although there's not much in the way of a wheat harvest to go out and watch (laughs) a what kind of harvest Wheat. Wheat. Thank you very much. Wheat. Yeah. Wheat. There are cows nearby. Okay. <laughs> Crocodiles, too, I understand. That's another story. Crocodiles yeah, and, whole, and alligators. Whole yeah, that's another yeah. whole story. Uh, yeah, Google, uh, Google Piper recruiting employees in Wichita, um, or Jeff will do his thing over there on the show notes. Uh, Shout-outs. Well, the one I didn't want to leave behind. Oh, I thought that was the one you didn't want to leave behind. Nah, I just referred to that by referral. Okay. Which one? B-Light Aircraft has a new Part 103 legal ultralight with aluminum fuselage and uh, big wing and so good that it weighs 210 pounds Cost sixteen five and can fly on twenty eight horsepower. Sounds cool. Sounds cool. And by the way, I did have this categorized as a shout out, so you're we're in sync. Um, okay, yeah. You 16, like this airplane, huh? That's a flyaware airplane. Flyaware. That's not a kit. Kit. You don't have to build it. Doesn't say five hundred hours to construct in your garage. You come to Wichita, pay sixteen five on the airplane you ordered. You go home with 
a ready-to-fly airplane on the trailer or you fly it out. Yeah, you've been singing the praises of the airplane for a while. I think this is one of the airplanes that you called attention our attention to when we were like at Sun and Fun or something. Yeah, well, I have before because uh, uh, James and Kathy Wiebe, the the folks that bought another company's ultralight design to be light, uh, have done some very creative things. Uh, they've learned some interesting lessons about how things look and how things are priced and where the price range comes in. And they've settled in on some very nice designs with varying degrees of sophistication from bare bones basic but will operate in all four dimensions, vertical, lateral, horizontal, and time. Ah, okay. Thank you. I was wondering where you were going. I was waiting for that one. Yeah, Yeah, I know. I was waiting for that one. You could wait for that fourth one, weren't you? Yeah. 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 Okay. (laughs) Very interesting. Yes, very interesting. I like it. Uh, Jeb, shout out. It's like that geek joke I sent you all. uh, I'm going to have to dig through my memory here. Here uh, here I got it right here. Okay. We don't allow faster than light neutrinos in here. Said the <laughs> wait, wait, you don't. You laugh too soon. Right? I'm sorry, Jeb. Say it again. Don't laugh, David. Let him do the whole joke because it's like it's very subtle. We don't allow faster than light neutrinos in here. Said the bartender. Period. A neutrino walks into a bar. Period. Okay, it's very subtle. Yeah, I, I looked at this joke four or five times, and I'm going, huh? <laughs> and then suddenly I went, oh, I get it. Okay, I get it. Uh, I'm not sure whether we should have to charge you. Is that being one of your shoutouts? What, what do you got, uh, Jeb? What's, no, it's not a shout. What's what? Do you, you got um, any shoutout? Real quick, real quick. Uh, a guy by the name of James Woodson, uh, gentleman I met here locally uh, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, done some work around the house and uh, uh, strongly uh, uh, said, you know, look, I, I'm really interested in learning how to fly. Uh, so I took him for a ride last week. We're going to try to go for a ride this week, this coming weekend. And, he, and if he continues to be serious about it, uh, uh, I'm going to mentor him and, and uh, um, you know, try to get him some flight instruction and, and things like that. But uh, uh, right now, we'll, you know, kind of see what is, where his dedication level is and, and, and things like this. But so far, it's looking good. And I just wanted to give him a shout out because I, I want to see more and more people like him. He's 30 years old. Um, and uh, um, anyway, I want to see more and more people like him. Uh, get interested in aviation, and mm-hmm. I, I'm willing to certainly try to, you know, take him under my wing and, and do what I can. So, uh, here, here, yeah. I'll say we'll see. Have follow-ups on this down the road. So, yeah, we'll good for him so. and good for you, Jeb. Jeb, thank you for uh, doing that stuff. Um, I, I have a quick shout out, a, a, a very, you know, on a much more serious note, um, and, and I'm reading from a, an announcement that was in the uh, General Aviation News uh, website. By the way, another person I bumped into at uh, at. Uh, the AOPA summit is uh, Ben Square. We had a nice little conversation. So, uh, but uh, um, in uh, I heard some good things about GA News and Sun and Fun today. So, oh yeah, well, let me come back yeah. to that. Let me let me do this though. And this is very, very this is a very 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 good cause um, related to the Reno tragedy. Um, the, a fund has been set up to assist the victims of the Reno accident. Uh, that's the headline from uh, GA News, and uh, a, a group called the Think Kindness. A Nevada nonprofit organization has started a fund for the victims and family members affected by the tragic accident. Um, all proceeds from the uh, Think Kindness Family Assistance Fund will go directly to supporting victims 
and the accident and uh, of victims of the accident and their families. And you can make contributions to this um, either by through. Uh, I'm not going to give you all the details here, but basically you can go into a local Wells Fargo bank. You can do it um, by mail, or you can go to the website thinkkindness.org. Think kindness. I'll, I'll, I'll go down to the stage station and wait for the coach from yeah. Tulsa. Yeah. Um, seems like this would be a good cause. Um, lots of people already made made phenomenal donations and 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 uh, contributions to to trying to help these folks. But here's another way if you're if you're so inclined. Thinkkindness.org. Uh, there's something about Sun and Fun and and uh, GA News you want to tell us, David? I don't think I'm at liberty. It just was a good thing. What a big tease it, you are. What a big, I'm sorry. What a big tease you are. Uh, any other shout outs? Either of you? No? Okay. No. Good deal. Dave Higdon, uh, a, uh, an aviation photographer, also an aviation journalist, and the U.S. editor for London's World Aircraft Sales Magazine. David, where can people find you on the internet? Oh, avbuyer.com, aea.net, uh, aviationsafetymagazine.com. Uh, then there's the wanted posters, but we try not to talk about those. And Jeb Burnside, a freelance aviation writer and editor, serving as the editor-in-chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. Where are you on the Internet, Jeb? Well, aviationsafetymagazine.com is a, a, a good place, as always, and, and Dave might show up there occasionally. Uh, we have uh, jeburnside.com, uh, net, uh, some other outlets out there, but whatever you do, just don't Google me. And I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a new media producer. You can learn more about me at jackhodgson.com and aroundthefield.net. Thanks to, uh, I've been drinking Diet Pepsi the whole time here. I'm getting ready to burp. Um, uh, With tequila? Yeah, okay. Uh, Big thanks to Jeff Ward, whose name we've taken in vain. <laughs> Big thanks to Jeff Ward, whose name we've taken in vain many, many times in this episode, uh, but thanks to him for creating our show notes. Uh, thanks to Mike Morgan, Royce Earl, and to the many other listeners who have created our uh, UCAP disclaimer clips. We've got a new one coming down pretty soon. We heard about it. I heard about it Summit. I told you guys about it, and uh, I can't wait to hear this new one. Um, it won't be on this episode, but it'll be on some future episode, I think. We are also very grateful for the financial support we receive from our listeners. For information on how you can make a donation to this podcast, see the Uncontrolled Airspace homepage and the box in the right-hand column labeled Tip Jar. doesn't need to be very much. Just 10 or $15 over the span of a year is a big help. And don't forget, you can visit with all of us at the Uncontrolled Airspace website. You can read the blog, view the forums, check out the wiki, the aviation movies list, the new ratings, webpage of fame, and more. All of that is at uncontrolledairspace.com. David, what were you going to say? Live long. Go fly. Because time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan. How else could you have gotten to Jack's age? Bye-bye. And that's enough talking. Let's go flying. AMFFN. My opinion flying breaks all the laws of physics. The members of the Uncontrolled Airspace Podcast are participating as private individuals. Their comments do not necessarily reflect the views of the various organizations they work with. Also, anything you hear on this podcast that sounds like advice on aircraft operation is obviously very general. You should always consider your own situation, remember your training, and fly the airplane. I'm Stephen Hawking, but you knew that.
The sum of the squares of the legs of a right triangle is equal to the square of the hypotenuse. The sum of the squares of the legs of the sum of the squares 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 of the sum 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 of the squares of the legs of a right triangle is equal to the square of the hypotenuse.